Welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you've joined Paul, Joe, and Angelica. Together, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in the midst of today's crazy and mixed-up world. And one of the ways in which our world is crazy and mixed up, I think there's probably a thousand ways, uh, but one of them is in our understanding of our country and our kind of this virtue of patriotism, or is it a virtue? So I know like in a lot of schools, we're kind of taught almost to kind of despise our country and see all of its flaws. But does, you know, what does patriotism mean? Like, I mean, should we be patriotic as Catholics? Because I think our faith and our country really kind of probably do have some sort of connection with one another. So I guess the first question, and I'm like throwing like 17 questions at you all at once. What, I mean, what is patriotism? Is that, what is it? How would you define it? Um, I think that generally, I think in the in the rest of the world outside the United States, there's a bit of a synonym between patriotism and nationalism, um, where it's supporting one's country, believing in its, we, we would define it in the United States as believing in the country's values and, uh, and the values of the people. Um, provided that those are good. And well, that, I think, well, that's the question, is what is an American value? I think it's the you know it's the first line of the Declaration of Independence, since we believe in all men are created equal um, and endowed with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are unalienable rights, and that's, that's the foundation of the country. Um, and supporting that and defending those rights um, and upholding them, believing them, and living them out is part of, the, um, is part of American patriotism. I think where, where, where we would, in the United States at least, um, disassociate that from nationalism is when we would talk about, you know, the National Socialist Movement in Germany, which would be Nazism, right, which is a, which is an, an, a nationalist movement where they're believing in a country that's not, that's not living up to good values um, that we might say if you were to define the U.S.'s core values as good. Um, and so we would define that as nationalism. Um, they might actually see it as what we would call patriotism, but I think we've made that distinction in the U.S. vernacular. Yeah, and I mean, maybe a bit broader than just in America, right? Like, patriotism really is an extension, a natural extension of the love you have for your family, right? Um, and um, so, you know, you love your family because they're close to you and because you owe them things and because you have gratitude for that they sort of sustain you in existence. And it's the same thing with your country in a lot of ways, right? Um, Does that word patriotism come from pater? I bother. I kind of, I, I, I assume so. I don't um, know. I, I'm, yeah. Father, well, yeah, father, it would be. Fatherland. Or, fatherland, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, he who's always quoted, right, Chesterton, um, said about patriotism that um, that people first paid honor to a spot and afterwards gained glory for it. So men did not love Rome because she was great. She was great because they had loved her. Um, I think that's interesting because, you know, it's easy, I think, for, as for Americans to say, well, we believe in these things, like these precepts. And that's great, but it wouldn't explain why somebody from, you know, um, China might be patriotic, even if they oppose their government or um, somebody from... I don't know, uh, Kenya would, would be patriotic even if there are no Kenyan values or I don't know if there are aren't, but like it's, it, it kind of goes beyond ideology. It's easy for Americans to view it that way, I think. Um, but it really has to do just with the natural love you have for those who are, the natural preference you have for those who are close to you and those who are familiar to you. Hmm. Well, I'll, we'll get back to that question of like, you know, loving our country is that the same as loving our government? You know, how right. do you, how no. do you despise, you know, no. not like our government, but love our country? You know, how do you do that? But, but wait, I want to go back to Paul's point, because Paul said that the fundamental value is that first line, all men are created equal. Mm. Um, but, okay, A, that's not been practiced in terms of slavery and now abortion, you know, where we're not having everyone equal. But B, I don't know that that's a specifically American value. I mean, 
Well, preci- that's precisely and right. I, and Matt American- didn't write it. Yeah, that, that's that's preci- that's precisely right. And I think that's why an enshrine th- that that concept is enshrined in our documents. And as Frederick Douglass said, and Martin Luther King repeated on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, is that is that the founders signed a promissory note to to the the enslaved people at the time, um, and then they cashed that they cashed that promissory note eventually through, um, the, through the civil rights through the, through the civil war, and then you know further after end of Jim Crow and the civil rights movement. Um, and but without that, it's it's hard to see the end of, you know, it's it's probably a, a more bitter end to the end of slavery and Jim Crow in this country, potentially, because we're not alone. I mean, the last country to to end slavery was Brazil in 1886 or something like that. It was like 30 years after. And it's, still, the, it's still common throughout the world. Yeah. Right. It's not, right. it's, 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 it's not gone away. It's not it's not legal it's, in anywhere in the world, but it's still practiced in the world. Right. So. Right. Um, so I think that that's what I would that's that's that would be my response to yes we haven't lived up to those values all the time and but they're they're still our values hmm. and we we strive to to accomplish now when we talk about life um, I agree with that and that's 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 the shame and that's where you'd say well it's not love of government because the government is doing a you know allowing these things but it's the values it's and maybe to to um, yeah maybe to some extent it's the love of the people that that are around you yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, if people would add to those values, uh, the pursuit of life, liberty, and, and the pursuit of happiness, mm-hmm. you know, because I guess really that was not just, it was not just that all men are created equal, but I think the freedom aspect is what made America ultimately what made it in the first place, right? Yeah. Well, those freedom two, from those, those two tyranny. phrases are, are, are linked together. Like all men are created equal and therefore they're endowed with these unalienable rights. Right, they're actually they're tied, right? Because if all men aren't created equal, then they all wouldn't be entitled to these rights. Okay. Yeah. That's so those those that this wall, I believe it's all one sentence in this Constitution, and there's a reason for that. Yeah. Or not Constitution, sorry, Declaration. Okay. Okay. Now, Angelica, you kind of have a unique perspective because your family is your parents are immigrants from El Salvador, right? El Salvador, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, they obviously love America, right? I'm assuming. I mean, they're here. I hope they love America. They do. They do love America. They, um, I don't know if they'd regard it as their, like, homeland. I don't, I don't know if they'd regard our, their country, El Salvador, as, as their homeland, though. I, well, I remember asking your parents one time, you know, would you ever like to go back and visit? And no. I think, I think no. your, your mom said yes, and your dad said absolutely not, never. <laughs> Because I know there has been a great war down there, a civil war, which is what led them here in the first place. They, well, my mom came over when she was like 15, if not younger. She's been here for most of her life now. Um, Your dad was a little, little later? Yes, because he's five years older. So. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, but I, I think mean, do you, do you see yourself as primarily American or primarily El Salvadorian? Um, or both? I think a little bit of both. It depends on what it's, why I'm saying it, who I'm talking to, um, how I'm feeling. Well, I think that's, that's one of those things that's great about the United States. And we, we have this unique culture where, or, or maybe we, I think it's fading a bit, but we have this unique culture where you can maintain your ethnic identity, but also, but it's not, it's completely compatible with also being like a patriotic American and love of country and the people in the country and wanting to defend it and wanting to defend the freedoms that we have and things like that. Um, 
Yeah, we really are the only country that have hyphenated. You're Italian American, you're Irish American, you're you know. Yeah, you see it in Australia actually. Oh, do you really? Yeah, you see. I don't know. That's another. And also Canada, like all the all the all the English expats. Yeah, all the all the the prior uh, uh, British colonies, including the United States, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's we were at one time. That's for sure. That's funny because I'm I'm a I'm a mutt. I'm mostly mostly French, but you know we've been in this country since the 1860s and. So I would never call myself a French American, mm. mainly because Joe would make fun of me endlessly. But n- naturally, not calling yourself French American doesn't stop me. So <laughs> one wonders what you're truly gaining. What's funny is that yeah, when Joe you thinks have, that you, a lot of are, a lot can, of a, we can surrender at everything. <laughs> a lot of Americans that were born in this country and maybe for several generations still still identify as French Canadian, which I always found us. Oh, that is true. That's a whole nother... Because it's a whole different culture. That's, Very a, separate, different culture. that's a separate question of nationalism, yeah. at least in Quebec, right? Yeah, well, the, oh, that's actually a good point, though, is that the Quebecois have a, have a sense of nationalism for their own, or not all of them, but there's a group well, that, huh. that want to separate from Canada, um, or, or at least want to maintain their culture as best as they can in their language. Yeah, that was one of the most interesting things for me when I, I hiked El Camino many mm-hmm. years ago across northern Spain, and oh, the yeah. first part of that is going through Basque country. And the Basques, I mean, you could see like even graffiti on the bridges, just like free Basque country. They wanted it to be separated from Spain because it's such a, an identity that they're like, this is not my country. I don't believe in Spain. I believe in the Basque. They have their own language. They do. Yeah, they do. But And, and also Galicia, the other side of the, mm-hmm. the country. And Catalonia. Yeah. Spain has got a sordid history. Well, California is a little different than the rest of the country, too. Oh, well, yeah. that's. <laughs> we wish they would split off. No, I'm just kidding to any of our California listeners. I mean, it's the ninth largest <laughs> economy in the world or something like that. But is it really? Wow, that's like that, crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. So the, so we, let's go back to Joe's point because, you know, he was talking about kind of the distinction between loving our country and loving our government. So how can you love a country that's so flawed? And every country is flawed. I, I don't want to single out America because nowhere, no matter where you live in the, in the world, I mean, there's everyone's like, well, there's no country better than America. I'm like, I don't know. Poland seems pretty good. But Poland's got its issues. Yeah. Poland's got its Sorry. issues. Sorry. Yeah, everyone, <laughs> Everyone's got its issues. See, I would live in Malta because they all speak English and it's 98% Catholic. Hmm. Malta. Like, that's a pretty good deal. It's a tiny little island. No, I know. Yeah, yeah it's, so. it looks beautiful too. Yeah. But, but how can you love a country that's flawed? Well, I mean, it comes down to how you define love, right? And if you think that love is a set of fuzzy feelings you have towards something, then you can't. But that's not what love is, right? Uh, I mean, C.S. Lewis talks about how... Um, Love really is a choice. You choose to love something, and then you end up. If you choose to love something and act like you love it, you will you will find that eventually you do love it. Right? It comes from your Christianity, and so it's kind of the same same thing with your country. At least it can be. I mean, you know, you don't have to feel affection for your current government or your current policies, your current leaders, but you know, if you if you choose to love your country and act like you do, you will find that you do. Mm. Um, and and that comes down to like liking your own countrymen and women, and not talking disparagingly about them just because they disagree with you about something or mm. saying, well, the, these people from that area are bad and different from us and West stuff Virginia. like that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But absolutely. I should I mean, love yeah. West Virginia. Well, but, but I mean, the, the looking down one's nose at people, like people like those who are from West Virginia, I mean, that is a sort of anti-patriotic thing, right? Yeah, um, certainly true. Mm-hmm. Although we're, we may be the country that probably has the most diverse you know, population in terms of West Virginia and New York and California are three completely different people. Yeah, I would sense, probably you know? argue that there's countries in Africa with, and even like in Asia that have, like especially China, that have far greater diversity. Oh, that's true with all the tri- different tribes and things. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. United States is also very diverse, but in just like very different ways. Yeah, I guess you're right. Not as we all speak dark. English. Except, yeah, except Alabamans. 
Why they speak? They speak. They speak, speak, they speak, speak redneck down there. Oh, okay. Well, that's creative. Um, but but uh, um, sorry, is that racist uh, against my own people? No, I don't think Alabamans is a race. Oh, okay. I don't think okay. you can Just mention that. Yeah, moving on. You can't claim Alabama when you're from Maryland, Father. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's a big stretch. Um, mm, but I think fair. I think it's important to differentiate between. And I think it's a very American thing, and we're all uh, Americans, so it's not particularly surprising that we're talking about that, is that when we talk about, I think a lot of people have, especially immigrants and things, they have love of their country, their countrymen, let's say, but they don't have a sense of, like, I, my, I come from an Italian family, and they never, my, my Italian, like, the immigrants that we knew, like, they never talked about, like, how fondly they loved Italy as a country, Right. Mm. Especially since they considered themselves Sicilian or Pugliese or like these different areas. They didn't consider themselves Italian. Um, and but United States is very unique in that we have this we, we have a love of the, what America represents mm. right in the world. And we have a love of our countrymen at the same time. And I think that's that's what differentiates us from just a love of the people. I wonder, too, you know, when God loves us, he loves us for who we are. But he also loves us for who we can become. Yeah. You know, because he, he, being outside of time, he knows that we're, God willing, going to make it to heaven and the glory that we're going to be in heaven. And so I wonder if it's something similar that we, you know, we recognize the flaws in our country and we love the country, but also we love the perfect version of the country. Yeah. yeah. And also, I think, potential. And, and you had asked, like, why do we, lo- why would we love something that's so flawed? It's like, well, we love other humans and we're like, terrible flawed everyone's right. terribly fault flawed so but we love them that's true right and the church has flaws we love it that is true and you know, just right. how when you love somebody you, you you end up realizing that the thing you that their flaw is actually your flaw too like what you dislike in others most is always true about you mm. and like when you love your country you realize that the problems it has that you think are external to you are actually like you're bound up in them and you are the source of them it's yeah. like oh well you know my country is good but there's all these problems with it that like other people are causing it's like no you are your country like you're part of the body politic like you are part of the problem that you see Right. Well, there was that um, philosopher from ancient Rome, I forget who it was, who said that in a democracy, you get the kind of leaders you deserve. So if you have a very virtuous, holy, you know, God-centered populace, then you'll get a virtuous, holy, God-centered leader. And if you're not virtuous and holy, you get, you know, scuzz buckets. That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what Tocqueville said about our democracy is you can, you know, it's good if you can keep it. And if it's, it's, it's relying on the fact that you have a, a God-fearing people. Right. And even and George Washington said only a virtuous people can yeah, keep this democracy. Right. And George Washington said the same thing. He reverberated it in his uh, his last speech there. So um, so I think it's really it's really important that we recognize that. But in terms of, you know, when we think about when we think about love, it's willing the good, right? And so I think you do want to will the good if wherever you are, if you're in a situation where you can't move, you still want to make sure you're you're doing what you can to will the good of where you happen to be. And that might be very challenging and it might be impossible. And that's where you m- might want to consider leaving and mm. going to some place where you can do that. Yeah. Father, can I raise something somewhat related to this question? Um, Cause we're talking about like loving your country when it's flawed. And I think Catholics have a unique perspective on this because, you know, um, the American history for a very long time was very um, hostile toward the Catholic presence here and uh, Catholic influence on it. When did it stop? Go on. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that's, that's, um, a, that's well, an interesting question. But probably did ni- it, but. in the 1950s, it did stop. Yeah. And that, and that was one of the worst things that happened in the Catholic Church. But. Yeah, right. But I just think it's interesting because, I mean, uh, I learned recently that not only... So there were, I think, maybe two founding fathers at the actual Constitutional Convention who were Catholic. But it turns out that... I thought it was only one. Um, I think it may have been two. John Carroll. Yeah, so at least him, right? Uh, cousin, I believe, of one of the first bishops in America, or the first bishop Oh, no, in the first bishop was John Carroll. Charles Carroll right. was mm. the But it turns out that... Um, 
one of the I guess like the stenographers or whatever at the convention who's keeping notes was also a Catholic. Oh, right. um, so so but you know I mean there are all these awful stereotypes about how uh, Catholics are going to build a tunnel to Rome so they can get their orders from the Pope and <laughs> you see all these sort of ridiculous political cartoons of alligators with miters as mouths and stuff like that. But it's interesting because I mean um, yeah again because like Paul sort of indicated like that anti. Catholicism does sort of linger in some important ways and yeah, I still feel like I love my country right and so it's how do you reconcile the fact that you know um, a country which has historically hated my religion and hated you know um, the Church of Christ that I also love it right it's interesting like how do you reconcile those two things yeah I, I, I think it, I think that there's it, it's true and I think there is I think well humans are flawed right so you have a flawed you have a flawed organization created by flawed people um, but even through that, you can still have good values that come out of it. Yeah, the government, not the church. <laughs> the, but, the, the church was not created by flawed people. Just no, flawed. no, yeah, the government. I'm talking about the government. The government yeah, yeah, the government of, of the United States, and it's filled with flawed people. Yeah, right? yeah, and oh, and, definitely. And and you know, we did the best we could. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's true. But it, it, it's not. It's not just unique to the United States. I mean, I think, I think Ireland is the only country where it's English-speaking country where Catholicism is not the minority. And Ireland's Catholic in scare quotes. But it's true. If you look at Australia and all the other English-speaking countries, it's, it's a minority Christian. Yeah, no, it's the, probably the biggest denomination in most countries, but it's not as big as Protestantism. So then is it, is it a virtue then in our Catholic faith to be patriotic? I mean, is that, would that be considered a virtue? Provided that it's toward the right end, yeah. right? Because if you're patriotic in the sense that you're not living up to the values that we would consider good, and you're trying to support things that aren't, going back to more of that nationalism, yeah. then I would say that that's not a virtue. And I would say there's some American values not, elicit, not elucidated in the Declaration, such as you know, uh, our capitalistic greed you know, the American dream, quote unquote, um, that that kind of do go against some of our Catholic values. Well, even those mentioned, I mean, um, I am a pro-freedom person, but I mean, the sort of radical obsession with my own autonomy is not Catholic. So individualism. But individualism is one thing, but the idea that there can be nothing that infringes on my ability to do whatever I want. I mean, that's mm. that not only is that crazy, but that's, that's deeply not Catholic, right? I mean, well, the, the idea that well, you have obligations to anybody unless you choose to have them is just is just is just wrong. Well, right? I, I that, think it's yeah. I think it's individualism from the separation from the government, and I think and because we have a secular government, that's where I would say, well, that's probably good. And if you read the writings of George Washington, he's very clear. He's very humble. If you read his writings, he's very humble in uh, toward his relationship with God, and that was the that was at least his premise was that. You, ha you can't be subjugated to a king, a tyrannical king, and also subjugated to God. Like, it does, that, that doesn't work very yeah, well. Yeah, but I, I don't think that the—I don't think American radical—like, the radical American focus on autonomy does not end with our view of government. Like, I think it extends to our view of private relationships and employers and, you know, uh, business owners, right? I mean, the idea that um, you would have to, like— I don't know. I mean, the, the idea that a business owner would be required to like take a coupon six months after it expired because you decide they need to. I mean, I find that, uh, that like, or things like, I mean, things like that. The idea that like everything, the, the idea that the, world, that the world revolves around you and that mm -hmm. nothing, anything infringes on your ability to do whatever you want at any given moment. I mean, that's, I'm not, that, this is, this is well, a bit of a caricature of, of American individuality, but I do think there's a strain of that. And that well, is what I'm talking about, not just the government. There definitely is. I was so, I was so, um, I, I had a few years ago, about five, four or five years ago, I took a, a group of, uh, high school boys and their dads to Rome 
uh, which was a great pilgrimage. We really enjoyed it. But but the stereotype of the ugly American was so visible in these boys who had no concept that you're in a foreign country and you have to respect their culture. You know, so so they'd be walking down the streets of Rome, singing at the top of their lungs all these you know silly American songs, and everyone's staring at them. And I'm like, guys, shut up! Like we have to, <laughs> we have to blend in. Like we when in when in Rome. Yeah, when, yeah, when in Rome, exactly. Do as the Romans do, and and it was just this idea of like we're Americans, so we do whatever the heck we want wherever we go. And I was like, no, <laughs> it was so embarrassing, and it made them um, big targets for pickpocketers. Thankfully, nothing happened, but you know, you could see everybody kind of looking at them like, Ugh. easy marks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm I'm curious, Angelica, because you've been quiet this whole time, and. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, when talking about like, you know, kind of having to like fit into a country, like, do, do, what, do you, does your family still keep any El Salvadorian traditions? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, just because it's kind of been passed down, it's something that my, 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 my parents did when they were younger. So it's just like a little part of it. Um, what was your question again? I oh, <laughs> what kind of traditions? <laughs> Um, like I know around Christmas you do the posada. The posadas, yeah. Um, is a, wait, what is that? It's it's a novena leading up to Christmas. Okay, cool. You go around to different houses and kind of reenact Joseph, Mary, and Jesus looking for. Oh, for okay. All right. Yeah, I've heard of that. I didn't know what it was mm-hmm. called. Yeah, that's cool. Um, other thing, I I feel like it revolves around food, so I'm not sure how much of a tradition that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But of course, you've adopted so many American traditions too. Like Fourth of July, you go and shoot fireworks, or I think I think for the most part, though, I as I've listened to you all talk so much. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. no. Um, I I'm realizing more and more like I I I I don't necessarily view myself as like I'm not gonna go out and say, oh, I'm an American or or oh, I'm Salvadorian. Unless I'm asked, um, and it's kind of just like a backseat kind of thing, um, because I I don't know something about like just where I am and being happy here and um, not feeling frustrated enough that I want to leave is is keeps me happy and and it keeps me grounded where I am and and it gives me a confidence that this is where the Lord wants me to be and here in America. Yeah, so that's good. So this is like this is my like stopping ground for evangelization until he makes me move somewhere or he calls me elsewhere. Yeah, um, true. So I'm gonna love where I am, where I am, and respect respect it and do it to the best of my ability, even though I don't know much about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> so, but, but you know, as you were talking, it makes me think. You know, as, as Catholics, we really are strangers in a strange land. Because our real home is heaven, right? You know, and right. and so I ca- that's my fi- fundamental identity. So whether I'm here or live in a different country, like my identity doesn't change, because my identity is not based on my race, my nationality. It's based on my faith in Jesus Christ, and, mm-hmm. and you can be Catholic everywhere. Yeah, it means universal after all. Yeah. So let's shift uh, to a kind of another. Uh, closely related topic to, to that patriotism is like, you know, how do you live that out? And one way you can live that out, of course, is, is joining the armed forces. Have you ever considered that for your own life? Briefly. Really? 
Yeah, there was a time when I was really frustrated at work. This is post, and I was thinking about doing Air Force. I, I can only do Air Force, given my physical stature. Um, <laughs> I, 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 and, and I was thinking about doing Air Force OTS, um, kind of leaving my what is, it, what is it, OTS? Oh, officer training school. Okay. So I already had a college degree. I already had a couple of years experience. And I was like, I could be a finance officer in the Air Force. It's a thrilling position. Let me tell you. <laughs> I actually know a finance officer now. And Why wouldn't you just want to fly planes? Well, I can't because of my eyes. Oh, really? So, yeah. Oh. And my physical stature, I don't think, is supportive of that either. It's oh. very physically demanding being a fighter pilot or any type of pilot. Is it really? Yeah, it's hard. It, as an Air Force pilot, yeah. I mean, I know you pull a lot of Gs, G-forces. Well, as there, a but... fighter pilot. I mean, they have all different types of pilots. Um, Someone's got to just transport the cargo. That's right. But again, it's, it's, it's very physically demanding. Anyway, I looked into really? this a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not, none of these are easy positions. So anyway, I looked into that, but I, and I, I've always had a little bit of like a, a regret of not doing it or not looking into it more. It is a great career. You retire at 50, 55 and... It can be. It's hard though. It's, it's, it's a slog. A lot of, most guys don't make it. Well, a lot of times yeah. too, you have to be, you have to go wherever they send you, right? Any, anywhere. So. Yeah. You, as you get more seniority, I think you get a bit more say in that. But yeah. I mean, I know, I've known like, you know, graduate second lieutenants and they send them wherever, wherever they can and wherever they, they'll go, they'll send them anywhere. Um, yeah. And sometimes they'll change you every year and it's... Um, yeah. It, it can be it can be hard. Yeah, I mean, I never seriously thought about joining the military. I was in uh, JROTC when I was in high school, um, and so that was great. Uh, and that gave me a good perspective on how the military actually works. What what is for our, our listeners? What is JROTC? Yeah, so, J, J, R, so ROTC is what you would do in college, which is Reserve Officer Training Corps. So that's like uh, an R, somebody who's doing ROTC is doing it primarily so that they can become an officer. And then if you get a scholarship, you're required to, to spend some time in the armed forces to kind of pay down the scholarship. JROTC just means Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps. So mine was NJROTC, which is Navy Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps. So the, um, the Navy, all of the military loves acronyms. Love acronyms. So yep. Much. So but anyway, so we were Navy Junior Reserve Officer Training. Um, it was, I mean, it was great. It was a huge thing in my high school. Um, I'm sure, as I'm sure you remember, because all of the, every high school, especially every freshman boy does. There's like 25% of the student body did that, which is, um, it must, it, like it must've been more than that. I mean, it's, of the freshman years, because people drop off of the freshmen, I would, I've got to figure two thirds of the guys did, if I had to guess. It That's was what school is that? Bethel High. Yeah, we have it oh, at, really? at, at Bethel. I yeah, we have so Bethel is, is the biggest one like in like, the state, isn't it? One of the bigger ones, yeah. Which or is weird because it's not a, not a particularly important high school, but you know we're <laughs> we're huge and and our our two um, naval science instructors were very good and, and 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 it was a great program and I appreciate that it gave me a perspective, a different perspective on the country and on the armed forces. You go to a whole like boot camp weekend and yeah, like, um, it's intense. And because I did that, I have a lot of friends who did ROTC in co college, and I have friends who are in the armed forces. One just got back from a tour in Africa and stuff like that. So wow. And so it's good to, it gave me a good perspective, but it also made me realize that it was not for me, which is fine. That's it was, fair. It was, yeah. you know, I, 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 I did it, you know, in that capacity and I enjoyed it and it was good, but. That's awesome. I've, I've thought at great length of um, becoming a military chaplain because I love adventure. I love being outdoors and, and I know the need is huge. My brother mm -hmm. was in the Navy for four years and I think he said he saw a priest maybe every nine months. Really? Because he was in a ship, you know, off the coast of Japan. Well, I know that I know that bishops are not as willing to give up their priests anymore, right? Yeah, it's getting tougher. It's getting yeah. tougher. Because I know uh, a priest in um, my home parish of St. Bridget in Cheshire, one of the priests there, he went into, I forget which branch. He I think he ended up in Air Force hmm. for four. And he had to, he's going away for four years. Oh, wow. That's wow. so... And Bishop was like, hmm. Archbishop was like, hmm, okay, yeah, better come back. <laughs> For me, the reason I, honestly, the reason I didn't do it, two reasons why I didn't do it. One is, um, 
you know, I, I, I struggle dealing with bureaucracy and there's no bigger bureaucracy than the military. Well, except for the Catholic Church. Except for the Catholic Church. But <laughs> our diocese, actually, our bureaucracy is very small and very efficient, I have to say, compared to most. So we're, very, we're very blessed. But the other thing is that the, the military has become very politically correct. Mm. And, and I, I would find that to be a real challenge and a real struggle because as a military chaplain, you can't, you can't judge. And, you, and there's certain truths perhaps you couldn't teach. You know, if somebody came to you and was like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm transgender, you have to accept it. You can't be like, oh, I don't really believe in that. So I was like, I'm going to probably get kicked out if I join because I would just say my, speak my mind. And mm. you really have to be able to, to work within that system right now, currently. So Depends on who's president, too. It actually does. That is true. Big, no, that is, that is absolutely Commander true. Chief, you know, makes yeah. a big difference. I mean, Trump had passed some sort of law banning transgender troops, right? And then Biden brought. No, no, no. no. He sent out a tweet. He, then, he, <laughs> then, he, then, he, then he got distracted. That's not a law. And the, and the Department oh, of Defense said, it was, said that that was not legally binding. And we're waiting for their instruction, which they never received, as far as I'm aware. Oh, is that the case? Is that, that's what happened. As I remember, yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, it turns out our military policy is not made on Twitter. Who would have thought? Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Shocking. I thought that's how he did all his business. <laughs> Anyway, have you ever thought about that? About military life? Yeah, briefly, but it was because it got my mom's attention, so I used it when I was younger <laughs> for a little That's bit. Good. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was, and then I forgot about it. I don't even know what really happened. I think she stopped paying attention to it, and then yeah. So, did you have any actual desire, or was it just to? Um, no, not not. <laughs> <laughs> That's honest. No. Yeah. That's really funny. But it is such a noble calling, and there have been some great saints who are soldiers. You know, of course, St. Uh, Martin of Tours, mm-hmm. um, St. Nereus, one of my favorites. He was a Praetorian guard. Um, cool. A couple, a couple American, uh, American chaplains who were up for canonization. Emil Capone, one. Father Emil Capone and uh, Father Vincent Capadano, who was in the Vietnam War. Uh, both of those chaplains are up for, up for hopefully canonization. So you can definitely become a saint as a soldier, and there needs to be holy people fighting for our country as well. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. And that's one great way to love your country. Of course, there's a lot of other ways to, to uh, certainly pray for our country and our leaders, which we should be doing every day. Voting, getting involved in the political process, whether locally or, glo- or nationally, um, you know, and just living your life as a good citizen, a good part of the community, mm-hmm. I think is so important. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Restless. You know, go and love your country, pray for your country, and be a good citizen as much as we can, because as Catholics, we are called to love the land that gave us birth. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time. God bless you.